Coming up, Melbourne City and the Central Coast Mariners will face each other in the 2023 A-League Men Grand Final. We reviewed the second legs of the semifinals. That's coming up right after this. Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. And tonight I'm joined by the OG Dream Team, Antonis Pagonas, Cody Ajada, and Matt Olson rejoins the podcast all the way from WA again for the first time in a while. And we are here to review the second legs of uh, the A-League Men's semifinals. First of all, because Matt hasn't been on the podcast for a while, Matt, how are you going? Well, Christian, I would uh, just start by uh, saying that our nickname should be the Fab Four. Um, all great uh, television programs have a Fab Four. I think there's even a news program in the US called the Fab Four. So, yeah, going forward, we're the, we're the Fab Four. Look, things outside of football going very good indeed. I've enjoyed uh, sitting down for the finals, having enjoyed seeing the Mariners and a very long, painful run. Lots to talk about, lots to discuss. Uh, let's get into it. Okay, too bad for uh, some of our other contributors. You're not part of the uh, Fab Four, apparently. Um, dubbed by Doug Olson. <laughs> anyway, uh, what? Well, sorry, Matt. Did you want to re- reply to that? I, I didn't. I didn't say don't segue to them. I thought the natural response to that is, and here's Antonis Pagonis. Here's Cody. Whatever, man. Whatever. <laughs> I'm rusty. Uh, bad hosting? Question mark. Anyway, uh, let's <laughs> let's segue then. Uh, Antonis, how are you? Well, we'll excuse any potential bad hosting allegations because we are doing this on Christian's birthday. Thank you for having us on the podcast on your birthday, Christian. Looking forward to talking about the two semifinals. All good. All good. Cody? Yeah, I'm doing good. A little bit tired. Very, very big weekend, but always, always happy to be on the podcast and a nice glowing reception of all of us. I'm very honored to be included. Yeah, yeah. So, Antonis went to my birthday, and Cody and Matt didn't. Okay, that's uh, nice to know where I stand. There. Look, right. I came after Antonis, so I would have mentioned it if the opportunity arose, but I'm, I'm not taking Antonis' thunder here. How did how did uh, all-age uh, nines go today, Cody? Uh, we lost to 10 players while we had three on the bench, um, 2-0. Uh, I've put out a few uh, nice little flicks and tricks. I reckon I put on a show for our crowd of, I think there was 10. So, look, some good areas, some not-so-good areas. But um, if anyone's in Sydney and wants to watch some real football, I recommend following um AC United All Age Nines. It, it is it is a show. Or you could just go down the Central Coast and watch the Mariners. I mean, that's oh, I did that. It was enjoyable. Yeah. I reckon our games are just as entertaining, just in a completely different way. You want to see Michael right. Tulio pull off those flicks? I reckon I can match that. True. It's just about against... how you watch the game. It's about how you watch the game. That that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of the Mariners, let's get into let's get into into that game because uh, they cruised past Adelaide again uh, by beating them two 0 in the in the second leg four one on aggregate. So the Mariners play in the grand final, uh, which is just a headline in itself is uh, is incredible. Um, but then all the different subplots, not just that happened for me in this game, but just throughout the the way these two teams uh, have have matched up throughout the season and how one sided it's been. Um, and yeah, I mean, Cody and Antonis, you were there. So I don't know, Antonis, if you want to start off, like, 
just 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 a demolition. Really, like, I know. Look, it's only two nil, but for me, that was um that was just very cruisy for the Mariners. Yeah, I think it's what we said after the first leg. I guess it's they're just a better side mm-hmm. this season, and it's full stop. I know Carl V has gone short of admitting it. Going more towards the side of, oh, we just didn't take our chances. But you know, it's what four games now. It's you know that's that's it's what it is. Uh, they're a very good side. They've got Adelaide's number, and we saw it. Ducky like say it was two 0 that second leg, but I lost count of the amount of opportunities the Mariners just skied over the bar with little to no pressure. So it could have easily been another four nil game. So you know, all credit to the Mariners. A fantastic side on the pitch, a fantastic side off the pitch. And, you know, very happy for them that after 10 years, they're back at the big stage. Cody? It, it, similar to Antonis, it really just feels like they're kind of an Achilles heel for Adelaide. Everything that Adelaide does throw at teams, everything that they are able to, everything that Adelaide does well, Mariners are just able to counteract almost perfectly. I mean, you look at how Adelaide have gone against maybe even better sides than the Mariners, especially against City where Adelaide have generally been able to perform quite well against them. But then you go to a Mariners side who, look, obviously they are a very, very good team, but the way that they've been able to turn up against Adelaide consistently as well, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic side. You can't fault them. And like I said, it's just, it's Adelaide's undoing really. It's nothing like obviously there's things that Adelaide do need to fix up on their own end, but it's not a disaster, I guess, in a way, in the sense of it's one club that they just can't kind of figure out. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, and Antonis mentioned that, you know, how I, I said that after, after the first leg where I just felt the Mariners are a better team. We have the evidence of it. And then that was just, just like in a massive way kind of reaffirmed for me in that game was just like Adelaide. Look, I get it. You know, Clough hit the post at the start. You know, maybe if that goes in, you could make the argument of a different game. So I, I actually don't think so. I think even if he scores, I think the Mariners run over them anyway, to be honest. I think that's how dominant they were in this game. Didn't really matter what kind of how the game played out. If Adelaide scored first, I, I didn't really see it. Um, Matt, what what were your initial thoughts on 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 watching that unfold? Yeah, look, I think Adelaide had a lot um, in the game that where you know probably because of the pressure they were under that they were sort of exposed in in many ways, particularly defensively as well. Um, and I think that that's something that, you know, you really can't ignore from a sort of judgment of, of Carl Viet and, and of Adelaide's uh, season. It is quite interesting sort of going, reflecting back on the end of the, the regular season as well and the fact that they had a very easy elimination final. I think that they just came into that game completely undercooked and, and not ready for it. And, like, a lot of the frailties, a lot of the mistakes that were made at the back, I think it, it just, yeah, they, they were exposed pretty hard and you probably could have seen it coming, to be honest. Well, look, they had, they did obviously have a couple of outs, you know, obviously Ibisuki, whether you think he's been, I guess, a, a very good signing or anything for, for Adelaide, he, he does help them in a sense. I mean, when you take him out, you don't really have a good second. Look, personally, I would have loved to see Luki Ivanovic last night. Antonis probably agrees with me. Um, but then Carl kind of goes with this Ben Halloran option, which I don't, I don't really get personally. Look, I, I understand maybe why. I think there's possibly a, a plan there where, you know, they could nick a goal on the counter when you've got Goodwin, Halloran, you know, and, and Klopp is your front three. You've got pace, you've got speed. Um, but I would have kind of said just kind of effort and play like, you know, Ivanovic up front. I mean, th- people forget this kid got player of the month 
what for you know he got player of the month like he he's got quality he's got talent and then he's kind of just hasn't been used in the in the business end of the season um but then look nick ansel again say what you want about him you know they did have a solid performance um with you know him and not necessarily solid um but him and warland were the two kind of center backs in the previous game then all of a sudden alex popovich who um hasn't been utilized all of a sudden kind of is brought back in it's just kind of a little bit chaotic with the selection from that point of view which is understandable um but Antonis it just kind of it felt when you looked at the lineup it just kind of felt like okay Adelaide are going to kind of need a few things to kind of go right here if they're really going to get get the result and when you enter the game already being a goal down you do need a few things to go your way but I feel like I'm repeating myself from a few weeks earlier that the Mariners are just beating Adelaide in its own game. And I don't feel like Adelaide has another game per se to yeah, do something yeah. else to counteract it. High pressing, pressing into mistakes, transition. That's where our Mariners have just butchered Adelaide all season. And that's what Adelaide did in that 13-game winning run. So when Adelaide is not allowed to do that, when that gets taken away from Adelaide, and when Adelaide gets pushed into these mistakes... Adelaide suspected that, and we saw in the time and time again. And that's how it played out. I don't know how, what, I guess you can think, oh, maybe we can catch them on the counter. But the problem wasn't that we were, that United wasn't counter-attacking. The problem was that United constantly had to play like they were fighting for their lives because the Mariners were pressing these mistakes. They couldn't play around. So you can play whoever you want up there. Like I said, I would have gone with Jovanovic myself. Young boy can press them all day, and that's mm. what you kind of want to do that to them as well. But whoever you have up there, if you are going to build up like United has been in these four games against the Mariners, you're not going to get much effect. Meanwhile, you see the Mariners and how easy or simply they make it look. Of course, someone like Jason Cummings or Marco Tullio is going to get some joy up there. These guys don't need many opportunities to have an impact, and they got a heap of it. Well, I think it's interesting. The point you just made there, Adelaide are one-dimensional. I think that's kind of what the Mariners exposed, like badly in in across both of these legs, um, and and even the round twenty-six game in particular as well. Um, where if Adelaide, if they don't have their passing rhythm going, if they're not able to force the opposition into errors with their pressing, there's kind of not really much else about them. Like, and I know that's. I don't want to get too hyperbolic, of course, with it and react too much to that result. But, I mean, you know, Gouin was anonymous over both legs. Um, you know, they, and by the end of it, it actually kind of felt like when Erin Kunda come on, it's like, oh, wow, like, <clears throat> excuse me, like, wow, they actually finally have someone who might actually be able to kind of make something happen in this game. Because, and he, it felt like he was kind of the only one who looked like he could do something, you know? Can I just go on that one? I just, it irked me that. Should he yeah. have started Antonis? I, like I said last week during this time, I would have started him. And, you know, you go away from home to a side where they have the biggest event for years, the first ever sellout at that stadium. You need to take the oxygen out of the room. You know, you need to go and score early, make him uncomfortable. And who better to do it than Nesta? You know, Nesta Irukunda. We know what he's made of. Okay, you have to compare. Oh, we need him later in the game. What do we need him early? The thing is, when Carvey had brought him on, there was no game left. That's what you have to mm. consider. And I feel like they kind of used his name as a bit of a tactic, maybe make him think, oh, they're going to set up like that. Maybe start Farrell. Maybe 
I don't know what they were trying to get out of it, but I never felt like they were actually going to start him. And I don't think Nick Montgomery felt, felt that way either. Personally, I would have started him. You go in a goal down, what do you have to lose? Mm-hmm. And another thing that I noticed is by the time Carl Veer brought his subs on, again, suddenly you're two goals down away from home in this side's biggest occasion in history. Suddenly you're not in the game. You're just, you're just in the party and you're not going to spoil the party from two goals down in the biggest occasion ever. Yeah, that and that's it. Felt like that for the last, like after after Tulio made it two 0 It's like okay, this is like this could be actually like a, a thrashing. Like it really kind of got that feeling. And to be honest, it probably should have been like you just mentioned before, Antonio. They they missed a lot of good chances. Even like Thea Harris came on, and it was like wow. Like did did they actually make a change, or is Thea Harris just like a duplicate of of you know one of these Mariners attackers? Like they they're just like they're playing with so much freedom, so much confidence. Um, and yeah, like that could have easily been, you know, seven, eight on aggregate, let alone like, you, you know, um, on, on, on the night. Like, yeah, they could have scored six in that game. Uh, it, it just felt that dominant. Um, Matt, you've been kind of, we just been, like been talking over the last kind of, uh, today and stuff with, with the result and, and afterwards, like you've been kind of infatuated with this Mariners team. Um, and it's just kind of like, there's, there's like, there's peaking at the right time and then there's that. And that was kind of like, you know, don't treat us as the young team on a run. You know, don't underestimate us because we will play you off the park. And that's kind of what, what that felt like. You know, it's funny. Uh, again, just looking on the season as a whole, where Adelaide had sort of had that, that downfall towards the end of the season where Colby was maybe being a bit more skeptical with things. You know, Nick Montgomery always gave off. Uh, a vibe that was different. I remember speaking to him at Macedonia Park, and I really I don't remember. It was just before the Under Twenties Asian Cup, and I remember just sort of saying, you know, what does it what does it sort of mean for that finals race to just sort of stay in the top four? And that's the conversation we we're having at the time. Let alone the fact that this is a team that's actually strolled their way into a grand final. Yeah, speaks speaks a lot for where the Mariners are at, and it speaks a lot about about their history as well. I mean, you, you know, it's funny as well because you just you can't help but think about what COVID has actually done to make the Mariners a force again, right? When the competition resorted to playing a lot of younger talent, it was the Mariners Academy and, of course, Adelaide's that, that stood out. But the Mariners were able to embrace that under Alan Stadjic, come into this period and, and just hit their strides at exactly the right time with, of course, the caveat that they have this, you know, this talisman in the cum dog who's a total character and has, you know, basically come from, from Scottish football, right? So... Yeah, it's it's not to say that on on you know on every end that that you just have to be infatuated with them and their story and, and not that all these things happened, um, because there is actually things that are sort of ticking over and, and and Nick Montgomery as a manager is actually doing things here and now, so it's not just the full story that's um, that's that's there. I mean, you know, and again, I, I think I pointed this out at the time. Again, I'm thinking sort of round twelve, round thirteen, retrospectively, the rise of Sammy Silvera again. You know, he he mm. sort of disappeared off the map for a little while there. His ability to come back into that setup, be you know wanted as a member of the team, and to actually just stand out and be that amazing young talent again. Um, that's kind of what I'm talking about, right? So yeah, and and you know, when you sort of talk about the frailties, you know, I remember hearing from Robbie Cornthwaite during the week about something that happened in the home leg where. You know, um, Tulio's had a bit of space. He's running out wide. Halloran goes and fouls him, and he almost just draws the foul out of frustration. That that kind of thing was happening on Adelaide's end. We we know that they were exposed, right? But for the Mariners, you're almost getting the opposite of, of it, where they just knew how to expose every little gap and play that game to perfection. And they, they, they'd done it twice on them. And in fact, if you want to go to, to round 26, when we had that sort of top four showdown, they did it three times. Um, and so, yeah, they, they had their number, but they knew exactly what was required 
um, for for you know that entire process to have to have played out. And of course, you know they they uh, they were the ones that ended up second quite quite strongly in the end, with uh, the Wanderers sort of fading out and Adelaide doing the same. So. For a grand final team, um, I think my answer's been a bit too rambly here. Sorry, Christian, but for, for a grand no, final no, team, looking at, looking at the legacy of what's been set up for them here, um, I'd be giving them a massive chance in the grand final, and I'd be really, really proud of where they've come from, because even looking at the 2021 side with the emergence of guys like Jordan Murray and stuff like that, this mm. team is way more exciting as well. So, mm. there's, it, yeah, from, from, from every angle, that, um, yeah, what support this team. Yeah, yeah. And, and that team, I mean, Stadich also, it was completely different the way it's set up. That, that was a bit more of a counter-attacking team. It was a bit more defensive. I mean, these guys are basically, it's kind of, because Antonis Anton mentioned it before where he said they beat Adelaide at their own game and they basically can do what Adelaide do at like almost twice as well. Like, and it's kind of on a, on a much heightened level. That's kind of what it feels like. The pressing is more intense. Uh, the ball movement is faster. They're more direct. You know, they, They've got then they've also got this unique setup, like probably unlike any other team in the league, where with Cummings, with Tulio, where almost both of them at times I mentioned this I think I mentioned this on the podcast last week, where both of them at times will actually drop deeper. Like both of them. You're not like you have one nine who kind of you know, and then they get midfield overloads, then you've got Silvera and Cololo. And Cololo's been like sneaky, you know, he doesn't he's not a guy which has significant output in terms of goals and assists, but he's important to what they do, right? Um and Silvera you mentioned there and his kind of story. I remember halfway through the season, we mentioned Silvera um, on a podcast. I think it was after they played MacArthur off the top of my head. Uh, they beat them early on the season. It was like 2-1. They played really well. Uh, this sort of similar football for like half the game. That kind of killed them. Um, and, and Silvera was kind of the standout on the pitch. And he's just kind of, yeah, the way... And that's the thing about Montgomery, I think, as well, is that it's not just young guys who have kind of... He's unearthed out of nowhere. It's also guys that he's kind of rejuvenated as well. Um, and, and Silvera is, is one of them, um, because he's been an absolutely exceptional talent. I kind of mentioned last week where he's kind of moved into this phase, I feel, where it doesn't, it doesn't feel like he has to be the excitement machine doing everything all the time. And I think that's also because they've got all these, obviously they've got all these threats. There's that too, but he can also kind of drift out of a game. And then when he needs to, he can come into it and he can make something happen. And when you get into that kind of tier, I feel like that's kind of where you start to really progress as a player. When at any given moment you can be a threat. Um, and he's, he's really showing that. I mean, Cummings is Cummings. He's, he's, he's exceptional. Like even, you know, he, Cummings for me, one thing which I don't think he gets enough credit for is his work rate. Like it's, it's, it's absolutely second to none. It's superb. Uh, he works that team. He, he would die for that team. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, watching it. Um, Cody. Sorry. Uh, Christian, wait, Matt. Christian, yeah. 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 Before you, before you cut. Because you mentioned sort of the transition and the pressing being a really mm. big point of difference. A few things I just want to, want to say on this. Adelaide don't have a, a big recognizable number nine. And in fact, the Mariners technically have two of them, right? Because of what Tulio has been able to offer and to settle into the role. Tulio is almost like this hybrid as well, too. But yeah. 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 yeah no, no, no. You're, you're completely right. But what I, what I would say is that it, what, it's what makes the Mariners really, really impressive is that they, they seem to have nailed exactly what they need and exactly what's required for the style of football that's played mm. in every area of the 11. And I think barring obviously Melbourne City and their dominance, barring you know Sydney FC when they were dominant, you sort of look at this Mariners side and you think there actually is a, a lot of progression going forward there because very seldom do sides in the A-League manage to nail their recruitment so well in, in that regard. So so of course the, the, the transition play, the pressing, you know, their ability to counter so, so efficiently has always been the mantra of what makes them tick and how they play well. 
because they've been set up that way from day one. And, and, and that's a really, really important thing to understand retrospectively speaking, again, with, with this Mariners team. Just yeah, quickly. Uh, yeah, it does, yeah. Yeah, it's, again, when he first came to the Mariners, I remember he had a few games that were like, oh, really, this guy? This guy doesn't look like he's the guy they signed him to be. He missed the, Tulio, are you talking about? Yeah, totally. He missed yeah. a few open, big chances. I remember even one of the episodes of um, All Access with Monty being frustrated with him. But what they've done is they've stuck with this guy because they knew mm. what they recruited him for. And honestly, in this last month and a half, he's taken over Cummings mm. as the... It's a bit like what Jimmy Butler's doing in the Shut up. <laughs> a little bit Christian. Are you guy. serious? On my birthday as well. <laughs> he's basically said, you know, this is... My team, and again, I've had front row seats for that, literally seeing him do what he's doing to Adelaide. He's playing with this confidence that you're like, all right, this only comes from someone who's enjoying his game, who's been fully trusted to do what he can do. And that's another thing the managers get a massive tick on, not just the young players, not just picking up players from other clubs that are not wanted, but bringing in these foreigners who are unknowns but they know exactly who they are and what they're going to get out of them. And they back them to eventually show it. I mean, I, I'm i kind of like this when I watch a game, but like that that play where Tilio, oh yeah, the, the Samba flick and stuff. Like, But but more to the point in terms, when I see something like that, I'm kind of like, as soon as I saw that, it was like, yeah, the Mariners are winning this game. Like, yeah, it's kind of like, they're, they're just like... Even the tackle five seconds before from Triantos, yeah. you oh, are like... No, no, we're going to get to Triantos. Don't worry. <laughs> It's like they were playing possessed and like being in the crowd. I'm like, yeah, we're just here to be part of their story. Like, yeah, that's right. We're just participating here. Mm. This is their, like, kind of like Adelaide United was in 2016 with Melbourne Mm. City. I always felt that this is, yeah, yeah, similar, similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's sometimes it's just destined. And you know, United didn't really help itself, but the Mariners really did not put a foot wrong. Yeah, it's, and, and you could just see, um, the Gosford crowd, like feeding off that, like it was just they. It was actually it. Look from this perspective, it was great that the Mariners played like that when they had twenty thousand in the stadium as well. Like that, that is like it was the perfect, the perfect performance that you would want from a home team in front of a sellout crowd and and their 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 best ever crowd. You know that that was just ideal. Um, that they could serve that up. Um, and yeah, they, they were, they were just absolutely brilliant from, from, um, yeah, from the get go. Uh, Cody, anything to add on this, on this Mariners conversation? I think if I want to actually drag it back to Adelaide a little bit, you talk about Mariners, they've got all these threats going towards goal. You're talking about coming Silvera. They've got so many different routes, so many plan A's, B's, D's and D's. And then you compare that to what you're talking about Adelaide. It's really only that one style of play. They're very, and I do feel like they are very reliant on individuals as well. We're talking about. Mm. If we're down, if Adelaide's down in a game, oh, let's go to Aaron Kunder on the bench. And just in general playing the game, I feel like there is maybe not over-reliance on Goodwin, but there is a thing of, all right, we got the ball, we're playing out. Our first option is, is he free? Can we get the ball to him? And if not, it's like, okay, we're going to go somewhere else, but we do want to get Goodwin on the ball eventually. It's, they are very reliant on individual ability. And don't get me wrong, when you've got players like Goodwin and Aaron Kunder, of course you're going to take advantage of that, but, when you're playing against the Mariners side, who have a quartet of strikers so, so good and so good in front of goal. Oh, it, it's, it's hard, and it, it probably speaks to why Mariners have been so dominant against Adelaide this season. And one thing that, actually, Carl Veard admitted that in his post game. I don't know if you watched it. He got asked about if 
Goodwin should be winning the Johnny Warren, and he fully backed him, as you'd expect him to back his captain. But he actually called Craig the way they utilize Craig as he saw his Achilles heel, because sometimes you are over-relying on him to create that individual brilliance. Because thinking back at the Wellington game, that's why I won the Wellington game, the Craig Goodwin individual brilliance. Mm. And, you know, when things are going great, it's easy to ignore that, okay, he's our guy, he saved us today. But when you're losing and you're playing against Mariners and like his teammates, Craig hasn't really been able to do much against them, it becomes very evident that it's not the player, it's actually how the team is set up to take on that team that it's failed now to beat four times in pretty easy fashion from the Mariners, you'd have to say. Well, it's interesting because he says Achilles' heel is not using, you know, other players that aren't Craig Good, but it's kind of like, okay, but but who else? Like, I don't, you know, and and you could say, oh, hang on, you know, Zach Cloth and so, but it's like these guys aren't, they're not, they're not anywhere near in the same kind of form that the Mariners' attackers are in. Like, it's it's not close. There's no comparison here. Like, and what? Just one second, Tonus. When it's kind of, and I hate to bring up the basketball sort of comparison stuff again, but it's similar. Like, so something in basketball, it's like as you get. Further into the playoffs, like you, your rotation kind of shortens. You have less guys that you can try. I felt that with Adelaide kind of yesterday, where it was like, it's like the Mariners have so much more guys that they can turn to for, uh, you know, to create something or to score or to get a shot off or whatever, right? Um, and Adelaide, which kind of, you know, and Matt reference, Matt kind of referenced the Wellington game before and, and you did Antonis as kind of like, you know, it's kind of, it was a game they were always going to win. Who cares? And even in that game, you kind of came away with them and thought, I mean, Jesus, if they didn't have Goodwin. Or Nesta in this game, like you know, that's maybe that's maybe a kind of fifty-fifty game. So, yeah, it's 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 definitely an issue for them. Which and it could come from you know a couple of these younger guys next season, kind of kind of breaking out like like Ivanovic, and maybe Nesta starts next season. This sort of thing, or it could come from you know Cloth being fully fit, having a really good preseason, and it, and it can go from the get-go as well. Yeah. It goes back to this point. I'm going to go back to Adelaide's 2015-16 season. This 14-game unbeaten streak, this championship-winning run, came with Adelaide's starting lineup being very consistent. They all had their roles. They all knew they were going to play. They had a very good synergy. And in the last month, when you look at Adelaide and the Mariners, Adelaide's not has that. We've had Clough out, Ibusuki out. You had a few changes in the midfield with Barnett. And co. Meanwhile, the Mariners, you have them. It's a very consistent lineup. Everyone knows what their role is. The people off the bench know what their role is. It's a side that's working very well together, and it's a big reason why they're appearing in the grand final and Adelaide's not. And it's not something you can obviously control, but again, it's a big contributing factor. Continuity, especially in a league that's so disrupted like the A League, is a huge bonus. Uh, just just yeah, back Matt, on what yeah. Christian said, yeah, sorry. Um, just on the basketball point, where would Nikola Jokic play in the Adelaide United 11? Um, probably up front and they'd whip crosses into him. Oh, yeah, with the head. Oh, yeah. Would he be putting up triple dubs in the NBA Finals? Bruh. Okay, all right, mate. <laughs> what, what's, what's... <laughs> Me on my absolutely limited basketball knowledge. I know the finals are happening soon, so... Yes, anyway, I, yeah. wanted to, I wanted to harken back to TNC when they would randomly just make ESPN jokes in the middle of the program, you know? <laughs> never never do that bruh thing or whatever you just did again. Just just never, never do it. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so, Triantis, um, because we just briefly mentioned it before, and, and this kid, 
Um, and there's, it's not just him. There's, there's Justin Isbert as well. Um, he's, he's unbelievable. Like him, his ball playing ability for a kid at his age is just second to none. The confidence that he showed in that game, I, I was, I was amazed by it. It was incredible. The, it was the first half and he was on the ball and he kind of, I think Halloran went to press him. And he came from one side and he just kind of did this little shimmy and it just sent Halloran like the completely wrong way. And it's just like little things like that. And then he was just able to have time and space on the board and then pick his pass. Um, I think he's kind of improved defensively as well as the season's kind of gone on as well. He's a bit kind of, um, a bit stronger with his challenges and things like that. Um, but then it's kind of like this perfect dynamic they've got defensively where Caltech is a bit more of the enforcer and Triantis is a bit more of the, of the kind of modern day center back. Um, and I mean, for him, for like, he's, he's got so much potential, uh, like so much potential. I think Triantis, Cody, do you want to, do you want to, Cody always, Cody always loves to pick up the young ballers. So I've got to, I've got to bring him up for this, for this one. I think I've made this comparison before when we're talking about Caltech, where them two as a center back pairing, I compared it to when Real Madrid had, um, Varana Ramos and Ramos is this like real butch center back, uh, loves to get his hands dirty while Varane. Uh, definitely more on the ball, a lot more calm, composed, uh, elegance, I guess is the word that I'm looking for. And I do get those vibes with that, with the center back job. I feel like because Caltech's don't have this story where, you know, it's his first professional season. He's come from Vanuatu. There's not many, uh, players from that region in the world, unfortunately, that have been able to make that step into professional football on a regular basis at the very least. But if you don't have that story next to him, I feel like Triantis is probably getting more eyes on him than what he is now. But yeah, look, you're talking about a fantastic player. I don't know if he'd be ready to make maybe make that move to Europe yet. I would like to see him continue in the A-League a little bit because you're talking, yeah, I, yeah. I think I said it last week when I was talking about Nisbet kind of being the best player in his position, well, one of the best players in his position in the A-League. You give Triantis two or three years, maybe even less, he's in that conversation if he isn't already. Is Can we classify Nisbet as a six so I can say he's the best young six in the country or is, or is that not allowed? I think I'll, I'll say more as an eight. I'll, I'll say more, like, yeah, it's more yeah. that box-to-box, a lot of energy, but I'd, I'd put him... Up there with the best eights in this country too. Probably. No, yeah. like, look, I mean, if, you're, I, look, if you're if you're looking at this season, def- definitely how, on current form. Yeah. How many eights? How many? How many midfielders in general have performed at the level of Nisbet? There may be two, three, four max, but there's not many. He's definitely in that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I was just referencing um, the fact that Calvi had said said Jay Barnett was um, the best young six in the country. Okay, I completely <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, that didn't really materialize. Caltech yeah. and uh, Triantis for a second, because I think mm-hmm. there's, there's also, so again, back to my, my earlier point about Nick Montgomery and just nailing the recruitment. He, he's gotten exactly what he wants from both sets of players, but more so when you actually factor in what the season, how the season played out for, for, for both men, right? Like Brian Caltech comes in as this guy who definitely pretty solid MPL level player. Again, as Cody mentions with that background and look, if he becomes the first ever Pacific Islander to win um, you know, an A-League title. I mean, just imagine how huge that is for, for a lot of Islander kids, um, who aren't, who aren't big and, and, you know, meet all the stereotypes wanting to, to play rugby. Anyway, back to my, back to my point. What they bring as a combination, um, was, was actually quite sort of, uh, you know, it, it was, it, there was a lot of interruption in the way, um, both with Triantis going to the under 20s World Cup when he did right at sort of that, that meaty end of the season. And also with Caltech actually sort of growing into the role more and more, you know, progressing as a player as time's gone on. 
and uh, actually believing in himself as a professional and making that position his own. I feel like when you sort of factor in that they both really had to grow into that together, I, I dare say, you know, behind closed doors, that's one of the, the big things that really bonded them together was because Triantis is on this journey to grow more as a professional playing at youth international level, Caltech from the complete other end of the that's spectrum. That's a great point, that, yeah. That, yeah, that, that, that sort of growth and development, um, I think it's actually really helped mold them into an even better, better combination at the back. Yeah. And there's, there's just so many great stories, like, um, with, with some of these Mariners players. I mean, Danny Vukovic, like, full circle moments. Like, it's just unbelievable. Like, you know, he, he started with the Mariners. Uh, and now he's, you know, uh, 37, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And did he get red carded in the grand? Was that for the Mariners? Or the, uh, I can't remember if it was for the Mariners. I can't okay. remember. But that definitely was a thing that happened. Yeah. 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 Again, uh, please don't come at us for not having that specific stat, uh, right in front of us, um, to, to check. It was um, like 16 years ago as well. So let's go easier on ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like massive full circle moment for him. Now he's got a chance, um, to, to win, to win a championship with the Mariners, which I'm sure, look, obviously I'm sure the Sydney titles meant a lot to him. But I mean, I think to do it as one of the leaders of this young team would be, would probably be one of the biggest achievements of his career. Um, so the clean sheet record as well, Liam Reddy's league clean sheet record, which is just a huge achievement. Yeah, yeah, that's that's massive as well. So, um, now it would be ris- remiss of me not to um not to ask Antonis and Cody because they were at the game. Uh, what was what was the Mariners' atmosphere like? I mean, it, you said it was like party in the second half, but um, like it it definitely felt like it was just absolutely gone bananas off on on the TV. That's for sure. I'm gonna let Cody go first, and I'm gonna give my point of view being in Adelaide every week. After. So, Cody, you can go first and I'll tag in after. Look, it's probably not your traditional football atmosphere. Like, the, how do you say, like, it's not like a wonder at Sydney FC where yeah. there's, you know, like people that come from those backgrounds where they do have a lot of investment in a lot of cult- football culture. I'm just, I don't want to understand. It's probably not the right word. But anyway, to my point, it may be different to what you expect from a football game, but I personally did enjoy it. I thought, um, their active bay was absolutely going nuts. I spoke to a few, uh, a couple of people, um, that I know in there before the game. I know they were very, very excited for it. And it, I think it's a bit reminiscent of, of the Matildas, maybe not in the same way where it's not always, uh, um, like the active organized chance of certain things, but when something is about to happen, everyone lifts. There's noise going around the stadium. It's, it's, it's reminiscent to Sam Kerr getting on the ball when Silvera or Tullio, um, uh, doing something that excites fans in that way. It was a fantastic atmosphere, and as the game went on, uh, it just kept going to an increasing level each time, each mm. every every minute that passed, where they knew, yep, this is it, we're going to a final. So, yeah, look, as much as people may say it's not your traditional football atmosphere, I think it's still something that we should grasp in this country. We're not necessarily a traditional football country ourselves, so why not embrace it? Mm-hmm. It's And it's great to see, and like I said, behind the goals, it was going off. I do think the rest of the ground, like in my experience, I've been to all the, I've been and watched all these things play in Australia. They are the second most wholesome, and the one that's more wholesome is not even in Australia, the Wellington Phoenix. You know, they're very nice people. They're not going to go over the top, and it's more of a moment to reflect for them after ten years, a couple of wooden spoons, actually getting to enjoy this. I feel like with Melbourne and Sydney and even Adelaide, we are a bit more brutal. 
<laughs> that's yeah, the yeah. like for example in that Melbourne City game after we got one we won the second one and the third like in cities like that I feel the culture is like you want blood and that <laughs> helps like the atmosphere raise it's a different mm. atmosphere which like we were talking in the way we were like oh it's a bit lower than what we expected but we come in with our own backgrounds and context yeah, yeah. it's a completely different world well, that, even, that, was, that was my point. Um, probably yeah. not that brutality that you get at other football venues, but like I said, still fantastic. Oh, it's fa- it was, and again, like I was there as an Adelaide fan. I just loved being part of their night. I was very confident it wasn't going to be our night, but I really enjoyed being part of a very special night in that football club's history. Well, even when they made uh, the finals under Stadich, they lost at home in the in the elimination final to McCarthy, if you remember, and it wasn't like. You know, if that was, you know, it's like how, it's like how the Wanderers lost to Sydney, like, and it's just like straight off the game, like Wanderers fans on Twitter, like, what the hell's going on with that club, this, that, and the other. And it's like instant, instant demise talk. Um, and you just don't, the Mariners, it wasn't like that. It was actually more like, ah, you know, we came up short, but, you know, and that's kind of what we're talking about. It's just a, it's just a completely different perspective, uh, on, on what things are kind of, you know, how, how things kind of play out. Um, and probably, a different perspective because the clubs kind of operate differently and the communities are kind of different um, as well. Um, and in saying that, with the crowd, because this has been interesting, I've just kind of seen this kind of floating around a little bit today. With When you've got kind of a community like that and it's kind of a one-club sort of city, right, um, where, where they are, and you see 20,000 for a game like this, should the Mariners be attracting more on a regular basis? And they've had all these years of just, it takes time to build. And I want to mention that online um, a few hours ago, that that picture yesterday, the after the game picture with all these yeah. staff members, the players and the fans, that's amazing. But, you know, you need to go back a few years when they were in the wooden spoon years. That's when this tradition started, to try and engage these people, to give them something to remember. And we see this now, we're like, wow, everyone's doing this. The only reason it's happening is because this hard work has gone on throughout the years. It's something that, you know, when you have a team that gets tagged as the loser team, it takes a while to shake. And this is how you shake it. So in the next few years, absolutely, they should be targeting a lot more of these 20,000 people sellouts. But that's where you win them over in nights like this, like you said before. But, but, but let's, not, let's not take away from the people that have built that community up, right? I'll give you two examples. One is a, one's all very close to our heart, Matt Simon. Matt Simon was there day after day after day. He was the heart and soul of that club for so many years and was there through all the pain and all the hurt and the, and the odd nights where it got really good. You know, the odd win against the Wanderers at, at home or, uh, that penalty game where they came back from three nil down against Melbourne victory and stuff like that. Like they had their good days and when they had their good days, they went off. And, and, and that's just always who, who the Mariners have been. A relatively close friend of mine, a man named Zach Colbrook, who's been uh, in sort of the, the oh, I forget the name they have for it, like the Bay Thirty Two or whatever the, it is that they have. Yeah, oh, um, no, not is it? Uh, yeah, they have they have another name for the actual yeah. section where they sit. And uh, I I was travelling through New South Wales at a time um, in in the sort of late twenty tens, and I came and, and sat down and, and had a game with him there during this period that Antonis is talking about. And I remember just sitting there talking to. Most of the community there, you know, they're, they're English, Scottish immigrants or your, your occasional, you know, Aussie who's really engaged with football. And and every single one of them said, like, you know, we, we wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, right? And this is a club that's at the bottom of the A-League then. So you can imagine now when that is ramped up, what that is actually like and to be a part of. 20,059 people 
you know, that like that's huge for you have to remember, right? All right, right. Gosford and the Greater Central Coast, we are talking about a population of three hundred thousand people. Mm. That is three hundred thousand people that are dead ass engaged with this club and love this club on every level and want nothing more than to just see it be a humble little club. That's why they have their community phone. The leagues, you, you boys would know, you've been there. The leagues club next door. They have the raffles and the bingo and the beers and shit like that. And everyone just gets around it. That, that, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about a big professional club. And actually, I'll tell you what, if they go up against the polar opposite of that, if they go up against big CFG in the grand final and beat them, what will that say for football in Australia? That'll be massive. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be massive. It'll be talking about what is a community club from the heart going up against this multi-million dollar conglomerate that, you know, has, has bought out this uh, this this club in Melbourne. And I think it just speaks so highly of, of what, what this grand final is, but what it means to a team like the Mariners. Trust Matt to always bring the, the politics into the conversation. Um, that's 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 for sure. But but I do understand the, understand where you're coming from with this. I, I, guess, I guess what I'm saying is, if that's such a close-knit community, then... Like, how come maybe Mariners home games can't be like the, the big event every weekend where, do you know what I mean? And everyone's kind of like, like, forget, forget what weekend plans you got because everyone's got to be down there, you know, and that sort of thing. But I think, I think what Antonis is probably getting at is you got to get the, probably the results first. And if you get it on a more, I mean, look, they've, they've been doing it now for a few years, to be fair. Like, it's not, you know, they, they have kind of now moved into a different phase. They're not just the Mariners wooden spoon Mariners there anymore, is, right? There is another factor in this. Yeah. There is another factor in this. It's the Mariners. They might be different from other clubs in that way, but they're not different from the whole. I've been disillusioned with football for reason X, Y, Z. The, mm. the boycotts, the active fans, you know, the active fan scene being decimated in the way that it was. A lot of that goes on as well. And when you look back to 2013 and the period beforehand, a lot of games certainly in the mid to late 2000s, where that team was 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 playing really well and always in contention for titles. The Central Coast went off. It was it was it was a nice venue. It was a brilliant venue. Average of attendances of I'm pretty sure eight, nine, ten and thousand at the time. So you know, there's a lot within Australian football that's deterred that as well. Don't forget that. Yeah. Yeah. And just quickly, like every club has these few thousand people that are just rusted on. Like whatever happens, they'll be there. And the Mariners have it like everyone does. But when you go through a bad period, it can be a period, it could be an event, there's stigma attached to it. And the loser's tag doesn't just disappear from, oh, okay, we played finals again. You know, for a lot of fans, like, oh, whatever, it's going to end in tears. This is going yeah, to happen. Yeah. But something like this sees you, you cannot ignore a grand final appearance. You cannot ignore a championship if it comes in a couple of weeks' times. These are the fundamental things that switch that tag around. And even Adelaide, you know, Adelaide massively butchered the 2016-17 season. You know, people were bought in, butchered, and crowds went down as a result. Only this year has Adelaide recovered and is getting 10,000 people every week, the second half of this year, since that 2016 season, you know? So even the place like that is thought of as well-run traditionally in Adelaide, the stigma's taken a while to mm. get these fans bought over, and it's taken an ownership group, it's taken different management is taking players coming back it's taken ffa cups australia cup sorry so it it's a process and you know that and you know that the, the, the similar thing is going to happen even when victory and perth sort of get back up there to be contending yeah yeah no 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 good points good points um so just just a couple of things to finish off before we take a break um and so i'll ask you this so adelaide 
the the semi-final disappointment isn't a new thing under Calviat, and it's starting to become a little bit okay. You know, like when are they kind of kind of get over the hump? At least make a grand final again. What's if you had to put your finger on it right now? What's kind of the main thing that's holding Adelaide back from from going all the way? A backup plan. That's what it is for me. Just when things aren't going your way, when you're playing a team like the Mariners, who the way they play just completely cancels you out. What do you do then? For me, this is the season where COVID, all right, it's been until this season's been off. Five, it's basically been, if you look at the trends, five games on, five games off, five games on, where you look untouchable, five games off, where you look like you couldn't walk straight, you know, <laughs> to be hyperbolic. We've got the 13-game unbeaten runner. You've shown you can go on the run. Now, can you convert? Three semifinals, you need to take the next step. You know, it's hard to believe, but Carl Viet is actually the first manager in Adelaide United since Josef Gombau, who won the trophy, who started winning trophies again, that hasn't won a trophy. Gombau won a trophy. Amor won a trophy. Marco Kurtz won a trophy. Hmm. Etchan Verbeek won a trophy. So, unbelievably, somehow. Anyway. <laughs> you know, and like we say that, but his side when he was on was unbelievable. He didn't did tears, but that's besides the point. He's got a trophy to show for it. I think the first thing Carl Veer needs to do is to make sure that this Australia Cup campaign, the preseason, is taken fully seriously because that is a competition that fans are really, really endeared to for obvious reasons, being the winning side in it. Yeah. Adelaide fans want to be in Asia. I know a lot of them who are very excited for these trips. Adelaide fans want silverware. So you need to win that, show them the confidence, not just the fans, but the players that we've got in us to win this silverware. But you can do that by coming up with plans of what do you do when things don't go your way? Because that's when it seems that it falls away for Adelaide and we lean back onto, oh, we just need to convert our chances when it should be one, we're creating more and better chances. Yeah. Um. Last thing. Since when did Jacob Farrell become the Nestor and Kunda stopper? Like, what's what's this is this is the I I've I've never seen anything like this. Watching cheers of the night. One of the biggest cheers of the night was when he got off the bench. (laughs) Okay, I've never seen anything like this. Not not just in the A League, like just in football in general, where it's like as soon as one player comes on, it's honestly again. I'm so sorry to bring up the basketball comparisons, but it's exactly like that. I saw um, it was actually uh, it was Evan Morgan Graham who does like just just the best meme content uh on 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 A League Twitter. Um, and the, yeah, like he made the reference straight away, like around, like it's like basketball subs. And it's just like, as soon as Nesta got ready, Jacob Farrell got ready. <laughs> it's just incredible. Um, funny, I so- swear you asked the same question last week and I don't blame you bringing it up again because it still bewilders me and I still Did don't I? know. Far out. Yeah, I swear Still you said the exact same thing. <laughs> But like, yeah. I don't blame you for asking it again because it, it's a fair enough question. Shout out, shout out to our guy Jake Holub with FPF because he was the one that sort of first pointed it out and got the screenshot <laughs> yeah. and was was going off in our group chat just being like the shit housery of this and it was it was actually really cool. But um, look, uh, Jason Cummings for series MVP. Tulio. Yeah. Oh, Tulio. Yeah. Tulio. Yeah. Yeah. He has been next level in my Triantis, just because I fucking love that guy, or. No, just because they're scoring so much. Yeah, like, if Adelaide had given them a something to worry about defensive, fair enough. But on Triantis, it's very happy you brought him up because if, and I'm sure Sydney, 
wondrous hierarchy was watching. I hope they were watching in complete shock at what this guy that they had on their books and thought, nah, we'll play this, 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 and this instead can do. Because the Mariners, it might be now, it might be in a year, it might be in two years, we'll get a very, very nice fee for this kid and a lot of great performances. Meanwhile, I'll let you have a look at what happens over there. <laughs> uh, Josh any other examples. Okay, hang on, one sec. Josh Nisbet, Johnny Warren? No, okay, maybe, maybe, um, <laughs> maybe, maybe too far. But, but seriously, another guy. <laughs> I just, I just absolutely love. Uh, any, anything else you guys wanted to add on on this game before we take a break and then move on to the next one? No, I feel good. like I feel like if I just want to clear up one thing, I said actually with the culture on uh, comparing the gospel culture to maybe what you see in Sydney, I meant more like. I feel like it is a bit more of an older population. So you're not going to get like those young, rowdy fans. I just wanted to clear that up just in case there was any confusion. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, we'll talk all things Melbourne City and Sydney FC. Okay, so Melbourne City thrash Sydney FC 4-0, uh, 5-1 on aggregate. And we kind of previewed this last week. And Cody, actually, I'm going to throw to you first because we kind of said, like, um, okay, if Sydney can, you know, maybe weather the storm early, you know, maybe they've played more defensively, this sort of thing. And then Max Burgess decides to go get sent off. Um, so good job by him um, because he probably cost his team, um, um, you know, a chance to play in the grand final. Now, I don't know. Do, do you believe that? Do you think it's just simply a case of Max Burgess gets sent off and that just does it? Or do you think Melbourne City would have been too strong anyway? Look, Melbourne City could very well have been too strong anyway. They look like they were, do- they, they look like they were in for a good night, even from the, from the get go. It, it was, it looked like it was going to be one way traffic that night. Max Burgess probably was the riding on the wall for that Sydney FC side. Like, yep, this is it. This is going to be our season done. Kind of gave me similar vibes to, um, Bratton's. Red card in the uh, grand final a couple of years ago. Once mm-hmm. that happened, it was like, yeah, that's a turning point. Like, this is it. City's gonna kind of steamroll from here. So, uh, yeah, look, similar vibes and a bit of a shout out to myself from the last pod where I said, if City are do are able to score, Self I can't see out, them. Really? Yeah. Look, you know what? I don't plug myself enough. So, you know what? Let's do it. Let's go. Um, I did say if City do score early or get one goal, they will probably go to go on to score two, three, four and. The reason why I bring it up is I'm not usually correct very often, so I do want to savor the moments where I am. But it wasn't... I felt like you said that more like if they score early, then it's like it's really on. But they kind of, you know, they they needed the red card as like a little bit of a helping hand. Look, however it happens, it happens. The game played out that way. It is what it is. The City can't control what Max Burgess is going to do. It's a brain snap from Max Burgess. It's not yeah. their fault that he wanted to, I don't know, end Attilio's career early. I'm still thinking Tullio from... The amount of times we're talking about it before. But, um, yeah, look, City are there to do a job. They got a goal before the first half. I feel like if they didn't get that goal, maybe Sydney are able to come out rejuven- uh, rejuvenized in the second half. Once good scored, you could feel like City were going to go on to a good comprehensive victory. So, Matt, uh, Steve Corrigan redemption arc comes to an end. Uh, you know what, though? I'm referencing something he said earlier in, in, our, in one of our podcasts earlier in the season. <laughs> yeah, look. What a what a bizarre season though. Because yeah, like they, yeah. they, they literally felt the ebbs and flows from every which angle. Um and it just again, you know, we've been having this conversation and I'm I'm just gonna let the manager stuff lay low because the last time I came out with a sweeping statement about a manager and you know, yeah, that, that didn't go so well. So look, but 
like, yeah, I, I think it is a little bit fitting that their season kind of ended like this because I think it still sums up a lot of the vibes at the club in terms of their, their, their feel and the need to move on. The fans are even saying it at this point. But, you know, like if you ask those same fans that want Corica gone, how has this season sort of been? You know, they'll still look at the fact that, you know, from Sydney FC as a whole, they still won a title with the, with the women. And they will obviously be looking towards the fact that they beat the Wanderers who had a far better season. And that is just such a big flex for them. That's where so this is bizarre. It'll be seen yeah. as a success. It'll be seen as a success no matter what. Um, it just, it, it ended in sort of a way that, that, that stereotypes the fact that they are quite having quite a stale period. Of course, if Max Burgess doesn't do what he does, I mean, is the game so dominant? Probably not. But, yeah, Sydney FC at the moment, I think that just yeah just summed up where they probably are going to be stuck for the next few seasons, I dare say. You know, I came out with the sweeping statement. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's fascinating because if you looked at this, if you said, like, let's say in January, Sydney FC are going to lose in the semifinals over two legs to Melbourne City, and that's how it'll end. You'd actually be like, oh, wow, that's, you know, that's actually reasonable. You know, fair play. But for Sydney FC, just in general, who Sydney FC are, being thrashed 4-0 in the second leg of a semifinal, and I know red card and stuff like that, but just in general, to just be played off the park by the end of that game and just kind of been just treated as an afterthought, really, by Melbourne City. That's how it kind of felt by the end. That's kind of unacceptable, though. So it, it's hard to kind of judge the season from from that perspective, right, Matt? Yeah, yeah, but I think another really big thing in, in this is that uh, we, we almost like dared to leave the first leg thinking, could Sydney FC really do this? Yeah. Could they, yeah. could they really topple Melbourne City? And they just, they had that fight in them at home. It obviously couldn't carry over to playing at Amy Park against Melbourne City because look, you know, the other 11 out of 11 teams that they're, they're not going to be able to win in that scenario. It's a big semi final. Melbourne City will play up to the occasion no matter what. And, uh, and CDFC shouldn't feel bad about that. But like I said, there's, there's going to be all sorts of emotions going on because, yeah, they will, they will always strive to be the very best in Australian football. But, you know, they also have had a bit of a difficult period and they've actually sort of stemmed that difficult period into something kind of nice. But then they got thrashed. I mean, there's just, there's so much of that going on, right? So, yeah, but, but look, at the end of the day, I, I think they will have to, at some point, take on that transition. If they want the transition to happen sooner, it can happen. As for now, though, look, just just focus on the fact that they actually put a lot a lot of winning pieces together. I mean, Lolly and Mac were great signings, right? Stephen, you know, he still has the trust of a lot of guys in the in the change room. And speaking of the change room, we should probably get onto the whole Ninkovic uh, gate. The Ninkovic gate. Well, that was last. It was last week, and and I wasn't here for that. Sorry. Oh, you want to you want to give your take on Ninkovic? Yeah. Gate. Well, okay, do, I was do, actually do, going do thirty to, seconds on Ninkovic Gate. Yes, yeah, so I was going to segue to you guys, and then re- remembered. Oh, fuck! You recorded last week, so that is my <laughs> bad. That is my bad. But look, uh, let me just say this, and I'm sorry if you guys have said it uh, already. But when you, uh, if you see the full footage of of what happens, the City FC players that are in the rooms there, they actually look like concerned and disgusted. And a big part of what that kind of says to me in my head is there's some kind of aura going on with Steve Corica that not everyone's on board with because it was clearly him that had this, hmm. this bat with Ninkovic. It's clearly his, him that caused the problem. Watch the Channel 10 footage back. Watch watch what they captured. Most players looked borderline pissed off as Ninkovic was being wheeled out of the room and as the altercation happened. So, 
again, me, my sweeping statements, you know, people on Twitter, get your pitchforks out. I, I, I don't care. I just think that there might actually be something going on there. And I don't know. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Sweeping statements are awesome. Um, for, for, for yet another sweeping statement. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're a bit too, two weeks late on that one, buddy. Um, but you know, it's like, <laughs> no, 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 uh, no, I actually, yeah, I agree. I agree. But, uh, moving on, just cause you mentioned, you actually mentioned Mac and Lolly there. Um, is it actually safe to say that maybe Sydney FC kind of lost this game when the lineups came out? Because as soon as Mac was unfit, Lolly wasn't fit to start. It's kind of like, okay, how are they really going to create in this game? Um, and more to the point, Segacic is just thrown in. Like it's not, and he's not, he's not, he's not, and I'm not saying it's, he's not good enough to play in a game like this. He's not ready to play in a game like this. And that's kind of on Steve Corriger that he's not ready. Right. It and, is, and is. I know, I know, and I know Turnus is definitely going to touch on this because this is all to do with young players not being ready to come into a role. And, and, and when I was playing the podcast, I was just thinking about it and it's kind of like, like, you know, this is what happens when you don't. This is exactly what happens because, your your phone players they get injured something happens and you don't have someone ready to go to come in now Max Burgess might have been one of those players and then he 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 stuffed up and and he you know uh did what he did on his opportunity but um you know it's Segacic was just kind of thrown in there because oh well, we need to put someone there and 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 that's what happens right um and they just had they had really nothing in a create in attacking sense whatsoever it's exactly exactly what you're saying. The regular yeah. season is where you create habits. You know, you play every week, and depth. Yeah. every week, and it's a habit where you put in place in that big spot. Now, can you point me at the spot where Segasic has been given a big spot in the season and said, you know, we fully trust you here. Go do it for us. If he doesn't have, well, hang on a minute. He got he got he got ten minutes off the bench in all those games. No, I'm kidding. Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, if you don't get the mental preparation, the hurdles to actually get used to going through this in the big spots in the regular season, why in what universe would you succeed in that when you go and get thrown in the deep end in your team's biggest spot? You know, it's fully on Stephen Corrigan. You know, this is your guy your player, and it's actually a bit unfair when you throw him in the deep end without giving the preparation. You've had all these rounds to give him, to throw him a bone. You know, don't be surprised when it doesn't work for you. And what annoys me is, I hope it doesn't happen here, and I'm confident he won't because he's a fantastic player, is players just get dismissed after, oh, he's not this, he's not that player. He's not the player we need in this spot. How can he be if you don't prepare him for it? Mm. Well, you know what's interesting? So, um, Cameron Poupion is... Is tearing it up at the moment in England, um, with, with Brighton's, um, under 21s. And he won, won the player of the month in the Premier League too. And a lot's been made of the fact he was on Sydney's books and, and this sort of stuff. Um, he didn't come from the A League. Like, yeah, okay. He was on the books from the A League club, but he, but he didn't. He's, he, he, he kind of fundamentally came from the NPL. Um, and anyway, the point is Tilio is also another one who got snapped up right by Melbourne City. So. It's actually like a massive kind of sliding doors moment. Now, I'm not saying this necessarily works. Well. What's that? New enough. Tommy Devlin as well. New enough. Devlin, new enough. I'm just, I'm just, just, just one sec. The, the, these players, these three players here, because it's a kind of sliding doors moment when you look at this lineup that Sydney lined up here. I mean, is it possible to say that they could have actually had a, fr- a, a three behind Lafondra of actually Segacic, Pupion as the 10, Tilio on the right, if they actually had given these guys chances and minutes, right? You know, it's, it's like, it's a lot of things that obviously need to kind of happen. And, and you need to, you know, that's kind of relying on the fact that they would stay here for that long and, and, and play for Sydney FC. But, 
it's just interesting to think about it because, I mean, Jesus Christ, that's even maybe more of an appetizing front four than what they've got at the moment anyway. Um, so, I, I mean... I want to play devil's advocate on this yeah. for a second, though. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, right, when a lot of those players had sort of come through, Sydney FC couldn't really do anything wrong as a football department. And I think that the issue stems from the fact that Steve Corica has always sort of been told from the from the top down, like, the youth isn't isn't so necessary right now. And I think a part of that, and a big extension of that, is him sort of still having that ingrained mentality that the players aren't ready and the players aren't ready and the players aren't ready, regardless of the fact that the senior team has actually gone through some ebbs and flows in the time since. It's almost like, um, it's almost like the wrong mentality at the wrong time. It's, it's actually not a problem because those guys will go and get the opportunity elsewhere. Just look at all those names that we mentioned. The ones that suffer are Sydney FC because we get... But you know, but, yeah. You know, like, if you don't use them, someone else will. Matt, I'm, Matt, I'm just going to quickly counter your point, then I'll let you, then I'll let you continue. Yeah, yeah, because, because what I think maybe Antonis might be saying too is, okay, you might say, when they're, you know, under the Arnie regime and stuff, okay, the winning title was like, why would you change this and stuff like that? 100%. I, I understand that. But all I'm saying, I think what we're maybe trying to get at is who's got a higher ceiling, like in your team and, and, and who could be more beneficial for your club long term? Like getting someone in like Joe Lolly for a couple of seasons or actually giving those minutes to Marco Tilio who could do those couple of seasons and actually perform. And then you get a transfer fee for him when he eventually moves. Right, so so there's a probably a bigger long term benefit of doing it. That that's that's all I think we're saying. Yeah, and also and also with all this Ninkovich drama that's gone on anyway, it, it's interesting in that like he his role could have been filled by someone who yep. could have been like a really young, exciting talent for Australian football as well. If the Sydney FC, if there's, if there's anything we know about Sydney FC and their development, the youth program probably still has a lot of really really good talent in there right now. Oh, look so, at all of them that have been snapped up. Yeah, <laughs> but, but also but also it, it speaks to me and 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 again my whole thing with Sydney FC. I'm sorry to segue back to this, but if they need that transitional period, start with maybe a youth focus, and and that's hmm. where maybe even getting in a completely new coach as well would well. And I, I'm again I'm not just having the conversation because I want to have the conversation. I'm saying it, it could genuinely be what the club needs to to go hmm. forward right at this point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll just make a quick point here. We spoke about sweeping statements before, and I'm going to make one here, and I will go to my grave on this. If the Mariners win this championship in a couple of weeks' time, this is more impactful, more meaningful to Australian football than any of those recent Sydney FC titles. But any of them. And I will go to my grave saying that because all these kids the kids that are going to play in this game will actually go and do something with it. Look at the players Sydney FC got in those title runs. You know, their experience plays fantastic players, but what impact are they having in Australian football right now? These guys will hopefully end up representing a mm. national team, represent us in national tournaments. That side is impact. That side is what I would want my team to win the title with. You know, and that's my point. You know, that's how I view it. I would rather win it and make an impact rather than win it and then just disappear from the face of the earth the next year. And that's one of my issues with 2015, 16. Very interesting point. Well, but anyways. Very interesting. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, Matt, Matt, you wanted to add. That, that, yeah. I just could not agree more. I mean, that statement <laughs> was disgusting. It was disgustingly good. It was just everything <laughs> about the, the way that, like, because actually, like, to tear down, who that Sydney FC team was 
like Ryan Grant played for the Socceroos for a little period, but it was only because we had been suffering so much at right back. Right? You know, yeah, and that was like similar to kind of like the Josh Risden thing, where it's like he had yeah. a brief like good patch of form, and then he was in the Socceroos, then he was out again because it's like it's not, it's right, not. Right, there's right. nothing tangible about it. Yeah, and if you and if you tear it down man for man, yes, they have the players like uh, you know Jason Cummings and stuff who, despite you know obviously being kept out for the Socceroos, going to the World Cup and all that, he still may be a bit of a commodity in that sense. But when you look at it man for man, position by position, the Mariners team brings so much more to Australian football. And it, and again, I I don't want it to make it out like FPF is doing this whole anti F you know anti Sydney FC no, 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 FC. You know, it's it's not our mentality. It's not. We still we still love what uh, you know what that team did for the time that they were around because they were a truly entertaining presence to have in the league at the time. But with with you know with what Anton this is sort of going on about. You can't, you can't even sort of compare the two in this, in this regard. It's, it'll be a really big statement if winning that game means more players are playing at a higher level. But I just want to go that you can do both. It's not like you have to do one or the other. The Mariners yeah. are showing us you can do both, but there are clubs out there that are refusing it because it's too hard. It's a bit too difficult. It's a bit with the scared of the unknown thing that we talked about the other day. It can happen. You just need to make it happen and clubs just don't want to make it happen. Well done, Mariners. Okay, uh, there's, there's, there's our random tangent for, for this podcast. Um, we always have one each podcast. So there you go. Um, but circling it back to, to, to Melbourne City and Sydney FC. So let's talk about Melbourne City for a little bit. Um, because Cody kind of mentioned it before, felt like maybe they got their swagger back a little bit. Um, in this game. I mean, one thing which stood out here is Aiden O'Neill comes back in. Melbourne City looked like Melbourne City again. It kind of, it was kind of, is it, I mean, is it simple to say that? I, I don't. I don't know. Is he that integral? I think it's just team? more about having a natural six in there at the very least. Yeah. Having yeah. Berenguer kind of fill that role last week. Berenguer is a great player, but look, he's not number six. Having someone in, in there to fill that role, first off, very, very good for them. Kind of sets the midfield up properly. And then to have someone as good as Aiden O'Neill to do that, it's just going to make everything even better in a way. So, look, you can say it, I guess, but I think it's just more about having a proper midfield setup. And then Lecky played a different role as well because they decided, they decided, Rado kind of just said, fuck it, I'm going to play all four um, in this game, right? Uh, and he goes with McLaren, Tilio, Naboo, and Lecky. And Lecky kind of plays a bit more of a central role, which was interesting um, in, in a central midfield kind of role uh, as kind of like a 10. And yeah, that was, that was interesting to see because I don't think he's really ever been kind of deployed in that sort of position. Um, you would think, if if one guy out of that four is kind of plays a ten, I think it'd be Tilio. I think he'd probably be more suited to it. Um, but you know, seemed to work for them. I don't I don't know if he does that in the grand final. I think he just sticks with you know his usual kind of will will either Nabu or Tilio on the right, and then obviously Lecky and McLaren in in their usual spots. What what'd you make of that, Cody? I think with Lecky, look, it may not be something like you said. It's probably not going to be something that happens in the final. But you look at where Lecky is at this stage of his career. He was definitely known in his younger days, a very, very quick winger, someone who was probably going to use that pace to kind of get him behind. He's not getting any younger. He's going to lose that eventually. But one thing he does have now, at least at an A-League level, he is a very, very good technical player, someone with a lot of experience, someone who's got a creative spark about him as well. So I think it may not be something that happens like in the next couple of games, next game in the grand final. But if you look at maybe the next season or two onwards, if he stays at City, obviously there's rumours uh, to in um France, maybe look at him. I don't know if he'd make that move. I wouldn't do it if I was him. But as he gets older, 
maybe that midfield role is kind of his future. So it was interesting to kind of get a glimpse into how he can perform there. I actually don't think it was too bad. I'm probably of the same thing as you. When I saw the lineup come out, I was like, oh, okay, maybe Tilly was kind of filling that turn role. But mm. it, w- it was kind of cool to see Lecky in that role, I guess, as well. Yeah, just something different, um, which was interesting. I don't know, maybe there's also maybe with Rado, like maybe he thinks, like they haven't really been the same team in the second half of the season. That that That's true. And maybe he just thinks if we can just find something different that we could throw out there come this next game now in the grand final and throw like a, almost like a different look for the Mariners in what they have to deal with uh, from us from an attacking point of view, then, then, then maybe they can do that. But, um, McLaren's been, McLaren's been a little bit quiet. That, I think, I think that should be noted. I don't know though if he's saving it for, <laughs> for the grand final. That, that could be possible. Um, but I think, and, and look, we'll, we'll get to obviously the week of and we'll do, you know, a massive preview, but it's going to be interesting because I think City are probably going to create, they're still going to create against, against the Mariners. Um, but, he, yeah, he, he's going to kind of have no room for error. You know, he will have to be clinical because the Mariners are going to create their own chances too. Um, but yeah, he has been a little bit quiet. I just thought I'd kind of note that. Um, but the other guy who came back in, um, we mentioned O'Neill, but uh, Richard Vandervan came off the bench and kind of looked like Richard Vandervan kind of straight away again. I mean, he's, he's elite. Like he's, he, he's, that's, that's what you have off the bench, by the way. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Nice step. Um, but. The, his ability, that, that goal that he scored, he, he, that's not the first time he scored a goal like that. He scored one at Combank Stadium earlier in the season, kind of similar to that. He's just got this ability to kind of pass the ball into the corners from distance. Um, which is just an interesting asset that they can have because he can kind of let fly from distance too. Um, when, when need be. So he's kind of just a sneaky one, uh, who's come back in and then kind of Rado again has got this kind of decision to make with his midfield. I think O'Neill's obviously a lock. He's definitely going to play as a six. But then, okay, Berenguer, Barisha, Vandervan. I've got to pick two. So that's that's another interesting thing for him to weigh up too. So it, it's it's going to be interesting because I do think there's kind of potential for there's so much depth of this team that could rather overthink something that kind of leads to a selection error. You know, you don't you don't know that 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 is possible. Um, what did do you guys? What do you, what do you think of that? Is there anything kind of in there for you where where? It's it's kind of really hard to make these decisions for him. It's really hard to make these decisions, and then you add Lecky to that midfield depth, and it just creates a whole set new set of yeah, circumstances. Yeah. Imagine if he's going with that again, and you're leaving Van der Ven and Berenguer on the bench, and just going with Borussia in there. It's it's interesting. It's a good problem to have. Does he overthink it? I I don't think so. But I'm sure you guys will discuss that more in depth next week. Well, there's another there's another uh, manager who who uh, coaches a team in the City Football Group who is notoriously known for overthinking in finals. So no, I think he's um, I think he's getting on now. I think he's doing all right. Oh, we'll have to just wait to the Champions League final then, won't we? Um, but any- <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, the uh, yeah, um, I mentioned before, obviously about Tilio as well, um, and how. He's just, every time he plays Sydney, he just seems to like save his best for them. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know if it's like the, you know, like the Michael Jordan, I took it personal, um, when, <laughs> when he plays, when he plays Sydney FC, but, uh, he really, he really does kind of like turn up whenever he plays them. Um, and the other one, the other guy I wanted to talk about for Sydney FC, can we talk about Joel King has been really bad for Sydney FC? Like, I'm, I'm like, like really bad. Like, I know it wasn't, I get it. Like, it's a lone move, come back, but 
he's not been anywhere near the level I think they hope for him. I mean, this was a guy who was in the Socceroos squad at the World Cup, right? And he's he's just completely receded his game. Um, and that was really noticeable for me, kind of how... And look, I understand. They're a man down. They're playing City. You know, um, I get that. But it, it's not just not just that game. I just felt, you know, when when he kind of came in and he's taken Caballo's starting spot, which was good to see. You know, you, you bring the guy back on loan, you should give him give him starts. But yeah, he's just kind of hasn't hasn't been the same guy that we saw, you know, initially before he went to Europe. And I'm not going to go down to the 10 men because that individual mistake he made, that pass, mm. you're like, that's got nothing to yeah. do yeah. with the screams of a guy that's very low on confidence, which is just a little bit bizarre because Sydney aside as a whole has actually been quite up on confidence in the last month. So it's a real shame. And I hope whatever happens, he can rediscover that. And we might be just another full season in Sydney because I can't see him going anywhere in Europe and finding his confidence playing like that. I think he needs a hard reset mentally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any, any other thoughts kind of on this is, yeah, uh, I just want to say with um, the city's midfield partnerships mm. to talk about, there's so many different options. And but I reckon that's where the Mariners may have an advantage, just because they have been so settled, as we talked about mm. before. And when you show up on a big day, those small percentages may be what decides it in the end. So whoever Rada decides to go with on Grand Final Day, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the next week, they're really going to have to be on their game because these Mariners players in that midfield and that forward line that drop into the midfield, they are playing like they're possessed right now. So they really need to be ready for that. I really hope both teams in this grand final just kind of they when they last played, it was in Gosford, it was a one all draw and Same it was like Same for the big show. What are you doing? <laughs> no 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 I just want to just like really brief just a couple of comments. No, I know and I will probably reiterate again when we do when we do the when we do the, the preview. But like when they played in, in that game at Gosford uh, the last time they met, that was like one of the most entertaining games of the season. It was end to end. It was crazy. So, look, just just initial thoughts. I really hope both managers kind of just release the handbrake again uh, for the grand final because because that'll be fantastic um, to watch as well. Um, Matt, you haven't you haven't said much on this kind of city thoughts. Yeah. So so I mean, look, if you if you go to keep up and you just watch the the six minute highlights of the game or the three minute highlights or whatever. You'll, you'll notice that it actually looked like Melbourne City barely put any effort in to win that game 4 0 because all it was was just pick and pass a couple mm. of transition phases through the midfield. And that was how they got all their goals pretty, pretty much, right? Um, and what, but what's interesting about that is you sort of look at the fact that it was a seamless victory for them in the red card and everything else. But also this very, very important factor that Jamie McLaren has not been pushed uh, very much, and he hasn't been anywhere near as impactful. Do you remember the last time that not- noticeably happened? The last grand final that they lost to Western United. He didn't have a single yeah, shot yeah. on target the whole yeah. game. That is huge. And what uh, that that sort of makes me think one of two things. One, they've learnt, they're slowly learning how to get the job done without Jamie McLaren. And two, if the Mariners approach the game and sort of see Jamie McLaren in that way and that you stop him and you stop Melbourne City, It'll be a bit of a rude awakening for them. So that that was just sort of my main takeaway from a Melbourne City perspective, is that you can't sort of make it out as though the game is won on Jamie McLaren's boot. City are way too lethal as a team, and they sort of proved that with the way that they pressed and sort of just completely exposed Sydney uh, through periods of that game. And also, just quickly on Joel King, um, look, again, I'm sort of 
coming completely out of left field here, but when I look at sort of the lone spell dynamic, I look at Zach Duncan, who had a mare of a season for Perth Glory, currently contracted with Ahus, as is Joel King, contracted with uh, Odense in yeah. the Danish Superliga. And I'm just wondering if there's some sort of correlation there between the lone move and the ability to just have your mind elsewhere and not be anywhere near as impactful. We have seen mm. more than enough of Joel King since his emergence in late 2019. You know that he's an extremely talented footballer. He deserved to be standing there getting that selfie with Leo Messi after the Argentina game. He is a very talented footballer. You just have to be careful about these types of moves and how they are sort of, um, you know, played with um, in terms of your character and your career development. So I wouldn't be too worried on, on Joel King, and I don't really know why I'm signing off with that, but <laughs> there, there it is. Yeah. Nah, um, just on the McLaren thing, um, I think we've said this before. McLaren's an, he's an additive striker. He's not really a guy you build around though. So I think, I don't think they actually have to worry too much. I think if they create enough and it's, it's high quality chances, they, they can, they can, you know, be, be trust in the fact that he will eventually, you know, put, put them away and it won't be a problem. So I don't think, I don't think it's, it's a massive worry. I just thought it was uh, important to bring up. Okay, guys. Um, let's, let's, let's wrap things up then. Um, Unless Cody, if unless you wanted to mention anything else, um, not off the top of my head. If you're looking a little bit towards next week, yes, please bring the handbrakes off. You're talking about two sides that are two weeks fantastic. Yeah. Uh, next week, two weeks. Obviously, you guys are talking about it next week. That's what was on my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're talking about. We've spoken plenty about the Mariners and how good that quartet is going forward. CDR, this almost juggernaut team, and it is the makings of a very, very good, very hopefully. Uh, plenty full in goals grand final and I don't think you can disagree in saying that these have been the two best teams all season yeah 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 I think it's I think it's worked out um as it should as it should so um that's that that's good to see um so first of all before I get into our socials plug as usual our next show um will be kind of in person um we're gonna be we're gonna be in person in Adelaide Matt's coming over and, um, yeah, we're going to be doing a bit of a kind of quick club by clubs kind of season review and then, um, a, a preview, of course, for the big grand final. So that will hopefully kind of come out, um, possibly the Friday kind of before the grand final. So, so yeah, you can get that kind of listen, uh, just before the big dance and, and get kind of your, your fix from the season and then, and then your preview as well. So, uh, should be, should be very, very good. Lots of, lots of band time hoping for as well. Um, so, Front Page Football, make sure you check us out. Twitter, Instagram, at Front PG Football, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, and website, frontpagefootball.net as well. Guys, anything else, uh, anything else to add before, before we finish up? See you, uh, in, the, see you in the next podcast. <laughs> or, or listen to us in the next podcast, yeah. <laughs> Cody? Yeah, we, we have, we have clips on, so you, you'll see us on, on social media. We get our face out there. Yeah, that's right. Our very beautiful faces. Yes, obviously. Uh, Matt? Enjoy the grand final. Enjoy what it is and enjoy the all-star game that's this way. Oh, 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 oh. Bayern didn't come. Oh, Danny Townsend, what a disaster. Hey, Matt, it's all right. I just hope Amy Park is rocking with this home grand final. Okay, we, 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 we oh, wait, wait. Come on! We gotta wrap this shit up. Oh man, massive can of worms opened up like with thirty seconds that's, to go that's on the post. That's why there's two weeks. That's why there's two weeks between because there was supposed to be an no, all game this weekend. I know it's it's just 
It's just let's uh, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, uh, that's, that's, that's it for another episode of the podcast. And uh, until next time, it's bye for now.